Father Abraham, by the way. That's fine. That's good. See, all can sing. Fire, Jordan. <laughs> Is there anything too wonderful for the Lord? The story of Abraham, which takes up some 14 chapters in the book of Genesis, is filled with wonder. It begins with God's astonishing call for Abraham to leave family, homeland, and old gods behind in order to go to the land that I will show you. And Abraham's equally astonishing response of faithful obedience to that call at age 75. There is still hope, folks. Even more wonderful are God's promises to Abraham of blessing, promises that eventually form the basis of a covenant relationship between Abraham and God. In this solemn agreement, God promises three things. First, to give Abraham and his wife Sarah as many descendants as there are stars in the sky. Second, to give the land in which Abraham is residing to his descendants. And three, third, to be the God of Abraham and his descendants forever. As a sign of this covenant relationship, of his acceptance of this relationship, Abraham is commanded to circumcise every male in his household and to ensure that all males in his family from that time forth will be circumcised on the eighth day after their birth. There's only one problem with this. Other than Ishmael, the son he fathered with a concubine, Abraham doesn't have any descendants. He and Sarah have never been able to have children, and given that they are in their 90s, when God makes his covenant with them, it seems highly unlikely that this divine promise will be fulfilled. Anybody here ready to have a child in their 90s? <laughs> Nevertheless, in an act of faith that is in itself something of a wonder, Abraham follows God's command and has all the males in his household, including himself, circumcised. Which brings us to today's story. Three men come to Abraham's encampment, and following the long-established tradition of nomadic people, Abraham welcomes the strangers with a lavish display of hospitality. The little water and bread that he offers them becomes an entire lamb dinner, complete with fresh baked bread, a lot of fresh baked bread, and curds and milk, which Abraham serves to the men with his own hands. When they are finished with their meal, the men ask Abraham an odd question. Where is your wife, Sarah? Abraham points to their tent, in which Sarah, as was proper for women in that time, was listening to their conversation, but staying out of sight. To his surprise and hers, one of the men says, about this time, I will, next year, I will come back and Sarah will have a son. When Sarah overhears the Lord, for as we know, that is who has come to Abraham, she laughs in disbelief. And in that rueful sound, we hear all of the pain and grief and shame that she has borne over the years. Much to her chagrin, the Lord hears her laughter and asks, Why did Sarah laugh? Is anything too wonderful for the Lord? The testimony of this passage is that no, 
nothing. For as we have heard, Sarah does indeed give birth to a son, whom Abraham means Isaac, which means, names Isaac, which means laughter, and whom he dutifully circumcised on the eighth day after Isaac's birth. Who would have thought that I would nurse children, Sarah muses, and laughs again, this time in joy and wonder. Is anything too wonderful for the Lord? Say that with me. Is anything too wonderful for the Lord? Now, I have not, thank God, had an experience as amazing as that of Abraham and Sarah. I'm not old enough yet. Um, I have certainly known wonder in my life. I'm married to a man whose faithfulness, support, and love continue to humble and astonish me. I am blessed with two beautiful, intelligent, loving children and three delightful grandchildren. I have wonderful friends and colleagues, and I serve a pretty darn good church. <laughs> yes. For all these things, I am incredibly, incredibly and eternally grateful. But the greatest wonder in my life has been my relationship with God. A relationship that began in childhood and was nurtured by my family's constant involvement in church. My dad was an organist and choir director, so we were there every Sunday, except in August when he took vacation. <laughs> but it wasn't until we moved out here and joined Redondo First United Methodist Church, where we do share bread every month, that I made... It wasn't until then, and I made the decision to be part of a teacher training class for a long-term Bible series called the Bethel Bible Series. It was around 1976. It wasn't until then that God became really, really, well, real to me. Over the two years of that class, I fell in love with the scriptures. I drank in what was happening and found them just... I just love the stories and the history and the inspiration. And after every class, as I drove home, I would just talk to God and just pour out how wonderful it was. And at some point, I began to sense that God might be calling me to something more. The birth of my son near the end of that class and a second child six years later pushed that sense of call into the background as I was immersed in motherhood um, and also in other things. And yet I remained involved in the church and even in the midst of a major crisis of faith, I continued to feel as though something more was being asked of me. In the meantime, that church grew me. And over the years, serving and working in the church became something of a vocation for me. One day in 1997, not long after my own mother's passing, um, some 20 years after that Bible study, I was at an annual conference, and I was walking a labyrinth, which is a pattern that is a prayer meditation. You walk it in one path into the center and then walk it out again. And someone had brought one to... Uh, like a, a campus one to uh, the conference, and so I decided to go and walk. And I had that experience before. I'm like, yeah, okay, I'll go do that. And when I um, came out of that experience, I was confronted by a call that was so insistent that I could no longer ignore it. 
And that fall, I was amazed to find myself sitting in a classroom at Claremont School of Theology, taking a graduate course in Old Testament, some 25 years after my last experience in school. A year later, still uncertain of that call, but I enrolled in the Master's of Divinity degree program in, in, at Claremont, and in 2003, I received that degree, passed the exams for commissioning, and found myself standing in the pulpit of Grace United Methodist Church in Long Beach. That was an experience. <laughs> Nearly every day, I found myself marveling that I was now a pastor. And in truth, truth to tell, I still do. Since then, I've experienced the privilege of being present with people in times of joy and grief, the glad challenge of preaching and teaching the word, the blessing of welcoming others into relationship through baptism, the blessing of serving and the joy of serving Holy Communion and the joy of serving along faithful people alongside all of you. Years ago, if I'd been told how my life would turn out, I would have laughed as hard as Sarah. Is anything too wonderful for the Lord? My answer is unequivocally, no. For I have experienced wonder in my life. So what about you? About what might you laugh in hindsight. To what has God given birth in your life? What wonder have you experienced? Okay, folks, I'm not coming down because I actually want to hear an answer to that. Think about this. And if you would like to uh, share a sentence or two, no more than that, if you can. About a wonder in your This is so fun. I got a microphone. And you know how to use it. What wonder have you had in your life? I can stand here a long time. <laughs> if you're thinking about, oh, should I go up? Bill, you gotta come up. I can't go any further. I Oh, yeah, this is it. Sorry. I, uh, <laughs> well, I guess, uh, as a young man, I never thought to get married, and I certainly never thought of having a family. And then, when I had three kids. With someone, right? <laughs> <laughs> That's good.
Three and five, they saw their parents washed out of the ocean and their relatives who were there because a lot of people sleep and enjoy the heat by the water in Chennai. And it was very hot that night. And so he wanted to know what happened, what happened to the children because the parents are gone. And the relatives said, well, we can't afford to feed them. We can't afford to keep them. So we're going to send them to an orphanage. And since he was born, and they think he knows what an orphanage life is for children. So he asked if he could adopt them, which he did almost immediately, and send them to a private school in India. So he always brings tears to my eyes. And now, Matu is uh, 15, and the boy Krishna is 16. They're like two years apart, and he takes care of his sister very well.
Um, this year's conference was the first to be presided over by Bishop Grant Hygea, and under his leadership, let me tell you, a new spirit is blowing through the conference. He is amazing, and I'm not the only pastor to say that. Usually pastors are kind of cynical about their bishops, but no, not this one. Um, you'll read more about this in written reports that Julia and Ellie and I put together in a few weeks, but there are a few things I want to share with you today very quickly. Um, in his opening message to the conference, Bishop Hygea told us that he has one burning goal, to revitalize our churches, to help our congregations live up to their full potential. He encouraged us to engage fully in the mission of the United Methodist Church to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. And if you don't know that mission, you should memorize that. To make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. And he suggested that we might best transform the world, although we do it in outreach in all kinds of ways. It goes all over the world. That we might best tackle the issues of the world and the transformation by tackling the problems that are in our neighborhood and in our community. He encouraged us to look around, to see the needs, and to dare to make a difference. His words are right in line with my thoughts about where this church needs to go in the coming year or two. We need to discover new ways to reach out to our community right here in Muscogee. We need to go to people rather than waiting for them to come to us, because folks, that's just not going to happen so much anymore. And instead of our church being known as the big white building at the corner of Maine and Mariposa that's been there forever, I want our church to be known as the church who loves children, or the church who cares for the needy, or the church who welcomes everyone no matter what, or, or, God only knows. Then Bishop Pygia said something that caught all of our attention. He believes that the local church not the annual conference, as it says in the Book of Discipline, is the basic body of the United Methodist Church. And so he said that the annual conference must use its resources to, be, to help local congregations be healthy and vital. In other words, the annual conference is there for the local church, not the other way around, as it has often seemed in the past. To that end, the conference is holding the line on local church apportionments in the coming year, and future apportionments are going to be decreased. This is not the way, he says, to raise funds anymore. It's killing our churches. Now, don't expect huge decreases all at once, but it's going to happen, and I believe it from him. And that is a wonder indeed, yes? <laughs> The last thing that I want to share with you is that the bishop has reappointed me to be your pastor. Um, I will begin my eighth year with you on July 18th. Can you imagine eight years? And I look ahead with great anticipation. What does God have in store for us? What will God birth among us? And what will we laugh? In wonder. Is anything impossible for God? No. no. No, it is not. And I hope that we will say that with courage and conviction in the coming days, even as we say yes to all that God will do in and through us. Let us pray. Dear God, help us to revel 
in the wonder of your love in our lives and to be filled with, so filled with joy and gratitude that we cannot help but share it. Thank you for your ongoing guidance and presence. In Jesus' name, amen.